plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, party partners, and how are you today? This is Cynthia Bryan, and we're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. The show is brought to you by Be the Star You Are charity, and we are very excited to have you with us um, in this lovely spring Spring weather, right? The miracle moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are charity that will be hosting a booth at the Moraga Fair, courtesy of MB Jesse Painting, and also doing a shoe drive to support women in poverty, thanks to 5A Rent-A-Space and Mark Hogue's State Farm Insurance. And this is from Mark Twain. Noise proves nothing. Often a hen who has merely laid an egg cackles as if she's laid an asteroid. And if you're wondering why I've chosen that quote for our miracle moment for today, it's because I'm very excited in segment two, we're going to have author Lizzie Stark with her new book that is called Egg, A Dozen Overtures. And it is truly a romp through the history and the um, just all the the you know mythology as well as the naturalness of the egg. So it's rather exciting. In our segment three, we will talk about traveling and smart traveling using our our iPhones or smartphones. And right now we'll go into the April garden for a potpourri of gardening tasks. Uh, you can reach Be The Star You Are to find out what's happening at BeTheStarYouAre.org. Well, spring is the time of plans and projects. Leo Tolstoy wrote that in Anna Karenina. The first few weeks of April will indeed be days of watching, waiting, and planning our projects, a veritable potpourri of gardening tasks. Instead of sunshine and songbirds, the, few, uh, the first few days of spring have arrived with heavy downpours and gale force winds here in Northern California. But of course, I'm not the kind to get discouraged. So I just put on my mud boots and my rain gear and I went out in the garden to discover or hunt for the harbingers of spring. And I found them, my hellebores. Hiding beneath a blooming azalea, I found my green and fuchsia-tinned aristocratic Lenten rose stretching upwards and if you haven't planted any hellebores in your shade garden you want to add them to your must-buy list these perennial woodland beauties are available in a spectrum of colors that include red burgundy yellow green pink ivory and lime and some varieties are even almost black they are evergreen they are deer and vole resistant and they provide long-lived blooms throughout spring. And since hellebores survive winter frost, they can be planted now next to ferns, hostas, or any other light shade denizens. I mean, you can put them, mine were hiding under azaleas, and uh, so they, they are very good companions. And although the weather doesn't look or feel like spring, my garden is awake and it desires to delight. Uh, my crab apple, prune, apricot trees, they both spectacular color. And the buds on the cherry trees are just ready to burst open. I have several friends who have actually traveled to Japan this past year. Well, actually, they're in Japan now to witness the cherry blossoms. And I'm sure they are spectacular. But my own garden, and in fact, just the neighborhood and area where I live is just filled with blooms everywhere. So I feel like I don't really have to travel to see all this beauty. 
So I, I really enjoy that. And I, the, the bees love it. The pollinators love it. And of course, the birds do too. So iris, anemone, hyacinth, and cyclamen, they shimmer in the morning dew. And um, soon the tulips and freesia will be at their prime. They are already popping out and they're just starting to open up. Pollinators are flocking to the fragrant white verburnum and the blue rosemary. And the rosemary, of course, I use it in so much cooking and even in my teas. I'm a huge proponent of planting perennials and bulbs because no matter what the season is, something is always in bloom and it's always a surprise. And over the years and for several months, I planted daffodils and narcissi bulbs on a weekly schedule and my reward is five to six months of continuous flushes of flowers from countless different specimens and cross-category hybrids including the fragrant jonquila and the doubles and the trumpets so if you haven't already prepared your soil for spring planting don't waste any time getting started you want to add compost, leaf litter, or manure to increase the nutrients and the fertility. You can chop cover crops before they go to seed. They can be composted or they can be just left on the ground to, um, to decompose. We call that chop and drop. This green manure will increase the nitrogen and provide nutrients. It also improves the soil structure and the quality. Now, after cutting my cover crop, what I like to do is scatter them kind of around the landscape, you know, in that chop and drop uh, system and then wait, you know, two to three weeks before planting. That was, will just allow them to break down a bit. Now, remember this, if your soil is not being fed, it is feeding on itself and that is going to spell disaster because it's just like your body feeding on your own muscle and fat after a while you starve to death. So after your new crops are sowed, you want to apply a layer of mulch, and that'll add protection, water retention, and erosion control. Now here in our landscape, and probably in most places across the United States, the ground is still too cold and wet to scatter seeds. So many people have started their sprouting endeavors indoors. And if this describes you, Remember that before you transplant outdoors, your seedlings will need to be hardened off. And you, we'll do that once we have some reliable days of sunshine. Hardening off is an easy process performed over seven days. And it goes something like this. On day one, you move your seedlings outside in filtered sunlight for about an hour, and then you bring them back indoors. On day two, the seedlings get two hours of sun playtime. On day three, you offer three hours. You get the picture, right? So you repeat each day, adding an extra hour of sunshine before bringing them back inside. And then by the end of seven days, it is normally safe to transplant your seedlings wherever you want to establish them. But you gotta use your best judgment and make sure the soil and temperature are warm enough and then don't forget to spread organic snail and slug bait or um, around your new seedlings or your new sprouts will be the supper for those gastropod mollusks. Now continue harvesting your winter vegetables of broccoli, kale, cauliflower, spinach, Swiss chard, and salad greens. Now, although my arugula is bolting to set seed, I continue to cut the leaves and flowers to use in my salads. The flowers are edible as well as the leaves. And then once the days get hot, I will dry and save seeds of this arugula for scattering in the fall. And then speaking of seeds, make sure to read the instructions on any seed packet that you purchase because many seeds must be soaked for sometimes a few hours, sometimes a day or two to help with germination. And you want to wait to plant your vegetable seeds until the soil reaches 65, 75 degrees because most seeds require a planting depth and width that is twice the seed size, except for really tiny seeds like lettuce and celery and dill. And those I just scatter and kind of lightly rake in. Um, tiny seeds don't like to be buried because they need sunlight to germinate. 
Now, camellias have been illuminating the garden for several months, but the substantial storms have blocked a plethora of blooms to carpet the ground, and you need to pick up and destroy all fallen camellia blossoms as a prevention against camellia uh, uh, petal blight. If seeds are distorted, if they're pale or fleshy, you might have camellia leaf gall, and that causes the leaves to turn white, and then they fall off. So the best control for that is to pick up and destroy any affected leaves before they turn white. Again, don't put them in your compost pile. Now, clematis leaves are beginning to unfurl, and I can see little buds starting, but they're unfurling on what appears to be dead vines. So don't be tempted to cut back unless you know what type of clematis you have. There are actually three types of clematis. Group one is called a woody stemmed, and they bloom on last year's stems. And those you need to prune after flowering in spring, after flowering. And that's the kind I have. Group two is a double and and semi-double variety, and they bloom twice. And you also prune those after spring flowers fade, and then you cut back the dead wood in winter. I have some of those too. Now the group three, are those large blooms that appear in summer and fall, and they grow on the current year's growth. So you have to prune those clematis uh, vines severely in winter, leaving two buds on each stem. I don't grow those, but if you do, that's what you need to do. So those are just a few of the garden potpourri of chores that can be accomplished in uh, April in anticipation of spring sowing later in the month and in May. Uh, also remember that lawns welcome an aerating and feeding anytime now. You can just, you know, fluff up that lawn with, um, with some, some good um, nutrients. Shrubs, trees, and ground covers will also benefit from fertilizing this month. And for more ideas, you could check out my book, Growing with the Goddess Gardener. It's available at CynthiaBryan.com. And in the um, online store. So very easy to find or wherever you buy your garden books. So happy growing, happy gardening, happy spring and enjoy. When we come back from break, we'll be talking to Lizzie Stark and with her book, Egg, A Dozen Overtures. I'm so excited to talk to her. Don't go away. You're with Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR, 925-377-STAR, 925-377-STAR. Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. Are you a teenager with lots to say, but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program, Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. 
It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. Well, as I said at the top of the hour, I have a real treat for you because I have a true egg lady on the show with me today. Her name is Lizzie Stark. She just wrote a book called Egg, A Dozen Overtures, and it is so exceptional. I thought I was the egg lady, having raised chickens my entire life since I was age eight, but Lizzie can teach us so much more. Welcome, Lizzie, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Um, Thank you so much for having me, Cynthia. I'm really excited to talk to the egg lady. (laughs) Well, you're a a fellow egg lady. And what I'm so impressed is how you and your dad have literally perfected all of these omelets and all kinds of things that you make with eggs and following uh, Chef Jacques Pepin's, you know, egg creations. That is, that was like amazing. I mean, I never really stopped to think about how important doing that soft boiled egg or, you know, I mean, I just make eggs. I never thought about how, what what a culinary treat they are. Tell us about that experience with your dad. Sure. So the eggs are really at the foundation of my relationship with my dad. My dad loves to cook. And so when I was growing up, he wanted to share that love with me. And so what do you do when you have a little girl and maybe she can't uh, chop real well or stir real well? Um, You make eggs with her because an egg dish really only requires one, maybe two ingredients, you know, an egg, maybe a pan, heat, maybe a little oil, boom, you're done. Um, So my dad and I did a lot of experiments together, and one of the really seminal ones for me was the time that we took several dozen eggs and we boiled them for progressive 30-second intervals. So we boiled them for zero, 30, a minute, Mm a minute, 30, all the way up to 15 minutes, and then we knocked the tops off to figure out how we liked our personal (laughs) That was an amazing experiment. And are, do you still are you still doing this together? Oh, for sure. I mean, one of the last times I saw him, we did a fried egg workshop. <laughs> I cannot say fry an egg to save my life. However, I can do it when my dad's side coaching me. Well, it sounds like you have every pan. Yeah, you have every yes. pan imaginable, right? That's what it sounds like. <laughs> Yes, we have quite a lot of egg pans in our house. And, you know, there's a lot of single-purpose egg gear. I've got egg coddlers. I've got a special square omelet pan for tamagoyaki. I've got Julia Child's favorite pan that was originally made with the butt of a torpedo with a (laughs) handle attached. Um, I've got French steel. I've got cast iron. I've uh, I've got nonstick. So it's a lot of fun and really researching the next piece of gear that you want for your experiment and then getting it and trying again. That's part of what is so fun about cooking with eggs. Well, I want to go, was it, did you decide to write the book Egg because of this experimentation with your dad? I mean, because of this whole fascination with the egg. I'm so I'm so curious because when I first heard about the book, I thought it was going to really be okay, just bird, you know, chicken eggs and uh, and then I know I read about penguin eggs and I just thought you were going to talk about all the different birds that lay eggs, but oh my goodness, you go into decorations and I never knew I never knew about how expensive eggs were during the gold rush. Too bad I wasn't selling my chicken eggs then. <laughs> Go back in time. Yeah, you, so, yeah, what was your motivation then to write actually a book called Egg? Yeah, so my agent and I are often bandying around book ideas, and she's actually the one who came up with the idea of kind of a single ingredient biography of eggs. And it made me so excited that I literally ran to the whiteboard where I do all my idea diagramming. And I had outlined um, various uses for eggs right away. And then I realized that I'd kind of been reporting for this book my whole life, you know, beginning in the kitchen with my dad. Your dad. Up through the omelet workshop. 
and even to my own, to the eggs in my own body, <laughs> right. since I had an ophorectomy in the course of writing this book. So, yeah, um, yeah my enthusiasm Tell us about that, because that's a really, you know, that is something that runs in your family. You have this gene. And so you're writing the book, and you find out that you have to have surgery. Um, that must have been really overwhelming and shocking. It was, yeah. I come from one of these cancer families with an inherited genetic mutation that causes elevated risk of breast and ovarian cancer. And so I had had a double mastectomy in my late 20s, and I knew that the doctors wanted me to have my ovaries out after childbearing was completed, and I had my one child, or before age 40. And so that's what I did. Um, it was shocking to contemplate surgery for the removal of healthy body parts, but ultimately uh, it was something that I did for myself and for my health, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Right, and because, you know, you can't get cancer in something you don't have. So, <laughs> so exactly. it, it, makes a lot of, it makes a lot of sense, but, I mean, it's so ironic, isn't it, that it transpired right during the time that you're writing about uh, about eggs, about uh, about female, um, what do I want to say, you know, female birth and different kinds of things that happen. So one of the things, one of the questions that everybody always has is what comes first, the chicken or the egg? And you, you nail it down right away. So tell us how you found it out. Yeah, so it's the egg. By tens of millions of years, there's a rich trade in fossilized dinosaur eggs on the Internet and, frankly, in counterfeit fossilized dinosaur eggs on the <laughs> Internet um, because as soon as animals evolved to move away from water, they needed a way to, uh, you know, to keep their offspring, their developing offspring watertight, thus the hard-shelled egg. Yeah, you know, that is. I I really never stopped to think that it was that it uh, evolved from the dinosaurs. Now, since I raised chickens, have you ever raised chickens or birds or had any of your pets lay eggs? <laughs> yeah, I've never been fortunate enough to raise chickens, but I am blessed with a friend who raises chickens. Um, just a little bit out of the city. I'm, I'm located near Boston. And so I've ha gotten to eat some of her delicious eggs. Um, and my sister-in-law lives in a community in a co-housing and some of her neighbors have eggs too. So I was lucky enough to be able to go and meet the chickens in their little movable coop and to get to sample, you know, get to sample some eggs fresh from the hen, hot from the hen. Hot. I know. They're warm. I mean, people are always so surprised, especially kids, you know, <laughs> if they see a chicken lay an egg. I've actually, uh, we've taken our chickens, you know, to different children's events. And I've had a chicken lay eggs right there. And somebody will say, what's that? Well, it's an egg. What do you do with it? <laughs> well, you eat it. You eat it, no eggs come in cartons. <laughs> and so it's so important, you know, that children get to learn that eggs actually come from chickens. And wouldn't you say when you get a chicken, uh, an egg from, well, from probably from any bird, but a chicken egg or a duck egg or a turkey egg, where the animals have led lives that they're supposed to lead, where they're out there scratching and uh, free-ranging and digging for worms and eating insects. They're so good, aren't they? They are so good. They're just <laughs> fresh, and there's something incredibly delicious about them. And, you know, if part of it just comes from knowing that that animal lived a good life. Yeah. I mean, Happy great. chickens. Happy, Happy chickens. chickens, right. Happy eaters. Right. Yeah. Well, I want to get to another thing in your book because I, I really laughed when I read this. Uh, most people, when they think of, you know, eggs, like decorative eggs, they think of those Fabergé eggs. And the first thing you said was fa the famous, but in my view, boring Fabergé eggs. And I thought found that so fascinating because um, they really were a kind of a mixture of that uh, 
Pasanki. So, uh, what did you have you ever seen a Fabergé egg, or what was it? I know that you're uh, Germanic American, you know, probably uh, Heinz yeah. fifty seven, and you say you're not Ukrainian because the Pasanki is Ukrainian. But um, tell us a little bit about the boring Fabergé eggs. Yeah, I I did a bit of research on the boring Fabergé eggs. There are only, you know, maybe 19 or 20 that have been located. And they were, I think, Tsar Nicholas um, got them made every Easter as a present to the Tsarina or maybe some of the children. And I just find the idea of a jeweler making a fancy copy of the local folk art to be very... um, it's just not that interesting. I'm more interested yeah. in people who do stuff. I mean, would I be interested in the process of how the jeweler made them? Like, yes, uh, probably. But it's just, uh, it's like buying your, it's like buying your wife a Ferrari for Easter. Yeah. You know? I get it. I get it. Well, and you know, evidently they took one to two years to complete. And then some of them, you know, they would have a surprise in, inside, like a, portrait or even a clock or something that was automated. I mean, and they cost, here the people of Russia were starving and these things were costing just, you know, millions of dollars, which is crazy. Just, uh, you know, that, I I don't like that, that dichotomy. Now you were just saying that you'd, you would be interested in how the jeweler made it. Um, You are a participation designer. That's what you call yourself, a participation designer. And, of course, you're the author of two other nonfiction books, uh, Pandora's DNA and Leaving uh, Mandania. But what is a participation designer? Tell us about yourself. A participation designer is somebody who designs for participation. So, creating um, settings and situations in which other people want to participate. A really basic example of a participation designer is a grade school teacher because that teacher has to keep those kids engaged and she has to keep, she or he has to keep them, you know, raising their hand and working their brain. Um, For me, I have done a lot of participation design uh, around theater. I'm an interactive theater designer and I have taught immersive theater, and I have made quite a lot of um, workshops and role-playing games for people to play, either at a table um, or out, uh, you know, in a, in a conference room of some kind. So th- that's just another um, medium for transformative storytelling, and that's really what I'm interested in in my um, nonfiction work, too, is transformative storytelling. Uh, well, nothing tells that story better than the egg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I just coming back to your book, The Egg, and that is exactly what you did in um, in the egg, the book. Where, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Lizzie Stark. Her book is called Egg: A Dozen Overtures. Uh, I, I would like you to tell us too about the uh, photo of all the broken eggs. I was I was hoping on the on the cover. And then the one yolk. I was hoping that that was from your cooking. <laughs> uh, I wish it was from my cooking. Certainly, <laughs> I have cracked that many eggs. Yes, and I'm sure. Right now I'm working on a participatory design piece, which is going to be kind of instructions for doing a little dance. And then, it, then at the end of it, um, we're going to whip out a mallet, and people will be able to smash the eggs if, if oh. they so choose. Oh my gosh, that is, that is kind of, uh, that's amazing. That is, that should be really fun. I think, well, you know, that you wrote about that um, too, that that was a tradition of being able to smash eggs or throw eggs, you know, different cultures have different traditions and you really dove deeply into the history of different cultures and their relationship to the egg. Is there any one or two uh places that just stand out to you that were surprising and was like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Yeah, I would say um, Britain has just so many very odd egg traditions. There is a tradition of pace egging plays, and this is a folk theater tradition where people roam around on Holy Weekend, the weekend of Easter, and they perform these plays that are about usually like a knight 
fighting a dragon, and then the knight gets killed, and a quack doctor shows up and raises him for the, from the dead. And people perform these plays while walking from pub to pub and asking as payment for the play a dyed egg, a dyed hard-boiled egg, or a beer. <laughs> and I think the tradition used to be more widespread, but now it's really particular to, like, one or two towns in England. And there are folk songs about it. There are pace-egging like drinking songs about this, it. So, it, that's amazing. That, is that just, now the Clown Egg Registry was also uh, based in uh, the United Kingdom. Were any, was that and that uh, tradition, did they meld it in any way? I don't think so, but it sort of goes to the, uh, the many wild egg traditions of the United Kingdom. So the Clown Egg Registry is a informal copyright register for clowns. Um, according to the Clown Code, your makeup and costuming has to be unique. And so there are several of these repositories in the U.S. and U.K. where a clown, uh, a clown egg artist draws a, a portrait of various clowns onto eggs to immortalize them um, for other clowns to study. And so I thought that was a pretty playful uh, and intriguing tradition. I thought that um, one was really fascinating because that really, uh, that lends itself to history as well. Because, I, you know, you would, when you think of clowns, they're always a little bit different. But the fact that they really have to be unique and then they're made into this egg, I think that is, um, that's pretty interesting. But... So what about all the eggs that are thrown at walls and, you know, <laughs> there's works of art that are made from eggs. And uh, what about some of those things? Were there, were there other countries that you found really interesting? Or maybe the space eggs? Space eggs, yeah. Um, I was, I mean, I was astonished at the egg tradition. Certainly there's a long tradition of egg tossing to throw displeasure and you can see it happening as recently as a few years ago when Egg Boy in Australia um, egged a right-wing politician who had said something really racist. So people are still hurling eggs for politics, but they're also hurling them for art. Um, I, in the book, I talk about this one performance piece called A Thousand Eggs for Women, where right. um, people throw a thousand eggs at a specially treated gallery wall in a participatory piece. And that just sounded like great fun to me. And, um, you know, similarly, the space eggs uh, were an effort to send eggs up to space in an incubator to study the effects of zero gravity on reproduction. And since, you know, maybe you don't want to send a pregnant astronaut up there just yet. Instead, we sent these fertilized egg embryos. And they sent a two-day embryo and a nine-day and some nine-day embryos. And what they discovered is that none of the two-day embryos survived, that the embryos needed to be past a certain part point in development before they could be viable. So I thought that was just fascinating. Um, and, I mean, you just can't make some of this stuff up, right? That project was done in partnership with Kentucky Fried Chicken. And so when the eggs came back to Earth. That, that is what cracked me up. Chicken, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Kentucky, the first space chicken. Right. That's what it was. I didn't expect that. And this is what people, yeah. when they read your book, Egg, A Dozen Overtures by Lizzie Stark, it's like every page you turn, you're, that's exactly, you're like, oh my goodness, I never knew that. Or some things are just, they're, they're just so crazy, but they're true. And so it must yeah. have been really, really fun, um, fun writing this. You know, one of the other things, I have never experienced this, and I have been raising chickens and roosters uh, for years. I actually put myself through college by raising chickens and selling wow. the eggs. So that's why I got the name Egg Lady or Chicken Lady. And I still have a cottage industry with my chickens, and I love them all. But you uh, wrote about, and I have never had this happen, about how uh, sometimes they change gender. 
So if they're yeah. if a hen's ovaries are disabled, I just haven't had it happen. They might start to exhibit some male physical traits, and they might even start crowing like a, a cockadoodle do. And, and the right. same with the cock. Right. They can, yeah, they might even uh, lay eggs. I wish that my yeah. roosters would have laid eggs. That would have been really helpful instead of chasing <laughs> me around the barnyard trying to bite my butt. That was <laughs> that. Yeah. That wasn't well, you know, very. That fun. is the origin of the myth of the cockatrice. Uh, <laughs> yes, a rooster yeah. laying eggs, and yeah, I I found that just fascinating because I think um, you know with all of the debate happening in our country right now about gender diversity, I think yes. it's really important for people to know that gender diversity happens in other species too, and that it's normal, it's natural. Um, and so that was one reason why I was particularly drawn to that story. I know, I think it was an important thing to put in there. I thought it was a very important thing. And also the fact that, uh, my hens do go through henna paws, that is for sure. Um, but I do have a chicken that's almost 16 and she still lays maybe an egg every two weeks. So she's an old girl. Cool. Yeah. She's a a very old girl. I wondered about that. I know they go through henna paws, but what the articles seem to say is that, you know, some some birds will keep laying. They just are not laying as as intensively as they were. Right. Well, um, when they're younger, you know, after they start laying around nine months or so, I mean, it depends on the on the um, the the type of chicken that it is. Some some breeds are earlier, some are later, but they usually, you know, they can lay an egg a day or one every other day. But there are some um, some hens that will lay a long time, but most of them actually, you know, stop laying. And then I just let them be the nice, sweet old ladies that they get to be because they laid all those yeah. precious eggs for so long. Well, they this book, hard. they work so hard. And you know what? Yeah. When they lay their egg, you've probably heard them. They are so proud. They cackle like, bawk, 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 you know, <laughs> they are the happiest things. And you can hear them from like, you know, half a mile away. They're just so happy. <laughs> That's um, amazing. I have one question for you, which yes. is that I have heard that chicken earlobe color predicts the color of the eggs. And I want to yes. know, as an, yeah. egg, as an egg lady, is that true? Yes, it is actually very true, and that is a, that's such a great question, because you know you you probably read you know green eggs and ham at one point, and when you were a little girl, and everybody that I knew you know who never raised chickens are like, there's no such thing as green eggs. Well, there are. So there are Americana and Ericana, uh, a breed of hens, and they have little green or blue earlobes, and they raise. They uh, lay green and blue eggs. So you can look at the earlobes and you can find out. So what a great question. (laughs) Well, Lizzie, it is confirmed. (laughs) Yes, it is confirmed. Now, um, I will say that there are breeds that lay speckled eggs. And I have some of those uh, chicks. But I haven't really noticed. Maybe I didn't hold them close enough. I'm, I didn't really see like they had freckles on their ears, but, you know, <laughs> but they did have the color, but their ears are the color of the main body of the eggshell. <laughs> so That's I wonderful. want people to go to your website, lizziestark.com. It's L-I-Z-Z-I-E-S-T-A-R-K.com. But before we go, Lizzie, is there anything you want to add about yourself or your book or what's coming next or anything? Because I think people would be very interested. Yeah, I would just like to add uh, my perhaps my favorite fact about eggs that I learned while writing this book, and that is that uh, eggs from that that early humans ate eggs during the Stone Age. And they, in particular, they ate ostrich eggs. And then they would decorate these ostrich eggs because the shells became canteens that enabled them to explore the desert. And the decorations on those shells are among the earliest evidence for abstract human thought. And that just really blew my mind. That is amazing. really are at the beginning of it all. 
That is amazing. I have worked on decorating eggs and it is very, it's difficult, especially um, because even like I've had little quail, I've raised quail and I've had little tiny quail eggs and, you know, decorated them as well. But to the fact that it's the art has lasted, you know, all these years, it is amazing. Well, Hopefully everybody will enjoy eggs. We just, you know, realize how important they are to our universe, our culture, our history, and pick up a copy of Lizzie Stark's book, Egg, A Dozen Overtures. I love that byline. I love that, A Dozen (laughs) Overtures. That was very clever, Lizzie. A very fun book and so well-researched. I learned so much, and I thank you so much for coming on Star Style. Be the star you are. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Oh, well, I can tell, Lizzie, you are a lot of fun. <laughs> so continue your <laughs> your performance art and all the things that you're doing, and um, it'll be interesting to find out how much fun people have when you, they get to the end and they get to crack all those those eggs they get to hammer them (laughs) so you be well we'll be watching for your next book and just take care of yourself happy spring and it's exciting yes exciting times (laughs) exciting times (laughs) you're listening to cynthia bryan this is star style be the star you are we'll be back with a business bite and then we're going to talk about traveling and how our smartphones can help us don't go away Check out Lizzie's website during the break. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Do you reinvent yourself? In today's rapid pace of change, today's sex successful job may be outdated tomorrow. Your level of success in business will depend on your ability to adapt, transition, and reinvent yourself. It's important not to get stagnant and to greet change as an opportunity for growth. You will always be valuable for what you do best, but being able to modify your skills to meet the emphasis of a technological world will serve you so well in the long haul. The age 65 retirement model will be abandoned by many employers in the future, which means that an increasingly important criteria for hobbies and avocations for older people will be their potential to generate income. Your livelihood may be dependent on the reinvention of you. So be prepared and have fun. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. That's Brian with an I, CynthiaBryan.com. Be the star you are, the star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. bethestarur.org. Dare to care. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business. Well, I am so happy that you are still here with us. And yes, every every show is show business. Well, you know, since it's springtime, people are already gearing up for travel plans. 
some people are going on spring breaks. They seem to last, you know, different areas have them for different times and planning summer vacations and, you know, winter getaways. So how can you make your phone a great travel partner? There are some tips and tricks that can help you get a little bit more techie so that you can use your smartphone before your next getaway. So you want to get ready. So you want to get all the support and assistance that you can. That's really important. So one of the first things that you want to do uh, with your phone is to put all your emergency contacts and medical info in it. And that could be accessed by any responders during emergency. And sometimes we don't think about doing those things, right? So that is an important thing to do. The next thing is you want to download any additional apps before you leave home because that's going to save you time and it will avoid, of course, roaming charges as well as, you know, you don't want to be downloading things um, perhaps in um, all these public areas. You want to be careful because safety is always important. So there are going to be apps for your airlines, for your airports, your hotels, uh, your activity providers, and apps are faster and more user-friendly than trying to use websites when you're on the go. So, uh, for example, for a phone, if you don't want to have phone charges and roaming charges if you're out of the country, you're going to want to download uh, one of the apps, something like WhatsApp, which is free. You can get it for your Android or your iOS uh, phone. You can also um, add event tickets. Boarding passes, most people know that already, to your phone's mobile. And by doing that, um, you, can, uh, you can get these tutorials for either your Apple or your Android phone to make it easier just by going to them. So that's, uh, that's something that you can do. You want to stay connected while you're traveling, especially if you're traveling internationally. Now, if you think you're going to be using your phone and you want to talk on your phone, Contact your mobile provider at least a couple weeks before your departure to learn how you can avoid any excess charges. And it depends on your phone and your service because you might need to upgrade your plan if you uh, for your whole trip's uh, duration. You might need to purchase a temporary SIM card um, when you arrive. Or maybe you can just pay by the day or maybe they have a plan. You just want to turn off roaming to help save your battery life since your mobile device may be constantly searching for Wi-Fi. And while public Wi-Fi is more widespread and available and that doesn't count towards your data usage, that's what I mean. you got to be cautious about what information and sites you access on public uh, networks and try to stay on sites that have the HTTPS. And again, that WhatsApp is a really good instant message and voiceover IP calling service that works around the world. Uh, make sure you secure your finances. It might be tempting to check your banking or credit card balances away from home, but it's not a good idea. You want to have a secure network before logging in. Um, you can get an itinerary organizer like Tripit, T-R-I-P-I-T. And then, of course, there are a lot of restaurant and venue event reviews that are on uh, Yelp. You can also get relaxation and meditation apps and, and free sleep apps that could help you in a new time zone so that you can do deep breathing, etc. I mean, can, technology can help you really have a worry-free trip of a lifetime. So learn about your destination and also, you want to go to the travel.state.gov website just to find out any cybersecurity tips for international um, travelers. And don't forget, before you leave, back up your electronic files, remove sensitive data, install strong passwords, and confirm your software is up to date. And when you get home, your electronics and devices used or obtained abroad could be compromised, so just be careful. You want to uh, get rid of any malware, uh, update your security software, and change passwords if, if necessary. Well, that is our show for today. So thank you for being tuned to Star Style, Be the Star You Are every week. You can find us here live on the Voice America Network and also find us on all the different platforms wherever you get your radio broadcasts or your podcasts. 
For more information about Be The Star You Are charity, please visit bethestarur.org. To read all the book reviews that our teens have written about favorite books, uh, go to btsya.org. For more information about me, it's cynthiabryan.com. And just remember, my aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. I want you to see beyond your physical being. Know you are already the star you dreamed of becoming. Cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment of your life. And read a book this week because a book is like a garden in your pocket. And I hope you can have some happy gardening time, even if it's a pot on your on your windowsill. Uh, pick up a copy of Lizzie Stark's book, Egg, at lizziestark.com. And any of my books at CynthiaBryan.com on the online store. Until we celebrate again next week, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you to be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self. Go out into the world. Dream, create, and make a difference, and just have a wonderful, wonderful spring. Thanks for being here. Ciao for now. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are the star. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.